Welcome to Human First. My name is David Tilston, and this podcast explores the methods, habits, and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. My aim is to utilize the experience and knowledge of experts from a wide range of different fields and to translate these into easy to follow principles that can be adopted by you to improve your life and those around you. I am pleased to welcome Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, Adam Ellis to the podcast. During this episode, we discuss his journey into martial arts, the benefits of yoga for BJJ, his recent involvement working within the UFC, and how lessons learned within these arts cross over to many other aspects of life in general. Let's get into it. Adam, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Cool. Thanks for having me. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is obviously your thing. You are a black belt and you have various other projects you're involved with. So would you be able to go into your background? What got you into BJJ? And then we can sort of go from there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, I started actually with Muay Thai. Uh, one, of, one of my friends, one of my good friends, he got me involved in some Muay Thai, like kickboxing. And I was, I was training Muay Thai about half an hour away from me, uh, woke in Thai boxing and like when i started that i've been going to the gym for a little while but it was like bro workouts so more like bicep curls and bench press you know you think you're think you're strong but you're not and uh i remember kind of that muay thai warm-up was horrendous for me you know they'd, they'd be calling press-ups or whatever you know running around in circles and things I, I couldn't even do like a full a proper press-up you know what you what you think of as a proper press-up it was like you know half press-up and i'd be I'd be struggling with that and uh so I, i'd kind of get through that and things and I, re- I really enjoyed the muay thai at first and i'd never even looked at any other martial arts uh it was just kind of get involved in that and then my friend said to me one day do you want to try some brazilian jiu-jitsu and I, I was like what's that isn't that what people do in their like you know what those guys do in their pajamas rolling around on the floor and he was like well yeah but uh do you want to give it a go? It's like what all the all the UFC fighters do. You see it on the ground, the submission grappling stuff. So I, I went along anyway. And the warm-up for that is even more crazy than the warm-up for Muay Thai. And I, I'd struggle through that as well. The first class was interesting because it was, you know, running around in circles to begin with, kind of side steps, like facing the inside, facing the outside, you know, circling your arms, which I'm fine with, you know, opening the shoulders out and stuff. And then you start doing rows along the map in your like typical warm-up where you do like spider-man crawls or if you've done like animal workouts like crocodile crawls almost things like that just just weird movements basically these things called shrimps that we do in brazilian jiu-jitsu the best way i can describe them on a podcast is if you think lay on your back and then turn your hips out to the side almost like you're laying like in the recovery position (laughs) and then back onto your back and then out the other side and that helps work escapes and things but you do rows up and down the mat so it's a very weird warm-up very good fun and i was kind of, i was i was enjoying my first class but it was still a bit like oh this is this isn't kickboxing you know this this isn't punching and kicking so it took me a little while to get into it but the coach was someone called simon gill he's he was a purple belt at the time and uh just to put it into context for people that don't know the kind of belt system so you start with white then you go to blue belt then purple belt then brown then black and you spend on average probably between two and three years at each belt. So it takes a while. So yeah, Simon Gill was the uh, instructor at the time and he was much smaller than me. I was probably between 110 and 120 kilo at the time. And I'm sort of six foot nine. And he was he's definitely under six foot, probably. I'm not sure what he weighed between 70 and 80s. So when we came to sparring at the end after the technique and stuff, you know, I, I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'll be all right. But he just wiped the floor with me. <laughs> and uh, most of the guys in that class, you know, mauled me as well because I just didn't know what I was doing. 
and you know the illusion that I thought I might be able to handle myself soon went but from then I was hooked and I just wanted to carry on training I, I carried on with the kickboxing as well but I wanted to do more BJJ whenever I could but I was doing security at the time and I could only do that every Sunday and I could do like two maybe three Sundays a month so it was quite hard to do consistently and I didn't progress that quickly obviously doing it like that uh, sometimes I'll be training after a night shift as well so you know you're not going to be able to learn much or perform after that and then after a few weeks my brother got involved as well and then he found uh, Andy Roberts BJJ which was 10 minutes up the road from us and pretty much at that point a full-time academy as well so we were straight there you know straight away we both wanted to go there he, he went first actually I think he went on the Tuesday class and, and loved it then I went the next day to the nogi class so nogi is where you don't wear the like kimono if you imagine the kind of like judo kimono or gi that people usually wear that's that's what you would typically wear in bjj whereas nogi obviously is without that so it's just like shorts and a top kind of like you know mma style uh, submission grappling and I loved that really enjoyed it it was much busier class much busier academy and I just really loved the kind of vibe of the place so I started training there from then on basically signed up and was like straight on there so I went to train under Andy and yeah my first role down there was actually or my first sparring session so I'm already speaking BJJ terminology so we call it like rolling or sparring um my first role down there was with one of my good friends Ian Day and he's like your typical doorman strong guy full of banter and and straight away I just clicked with him really enjoyed it and he's like one of my good friends now actually as well which is cool we kind of went through the grading system together so uh that's always nice but yeah and then from there Andy Roberts BJJ has grown into more he's got a much bigger academy now even more full-time so that was I think 2010 that I started training and I'm I've black belt now in december i'll have had my black belt in three years um so fingers crossed i'll be due my first degree which is cool since then i've just kind of gone as consistently as i can and just run straight at it basically a lot of injuries along the way quite a few competitions too which i really enjoy doing just to test myself yeah it's just just been really fun and it's taught me a lot so far because you can carry a lot over from it you know consistency as I said at the start I wasn't progressing because I wasn't consistent so that that was a huge thing but yeah that's kind of my journey in that so far I'd say I kind of slowed down with the Muay Thai to begin with because uh like well after I started BJJ more because one of my coaches said to me he was like oh since, since you've not been doing the Muay Thai as much your jiu-jitsu really progressed and that was it I was like right drop Muay Thai let's go with the BJJ do you think that that's one of the big mistakes that people make when they start something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they go in expecting to overpower people instead of utilizing more technique and more efficiency of movement. Do you see that quite a lot, especially at the level you're at now? Definitely, definitely, yeah. Because it's such a, a technical thing and it's such a battle of technique, you can you can definitely go in. And to begin with, we all do it. We try and just be as strong as we can with everything and, and push into something instead of thinking, right, that technique's not working that way, but what has that opened up? because I've not been able to do that. How are they defending? You know, if you push, even if you push into someone, if you keep pushing them away, they're going to resist by pushing back into you. So then it's that whole push pull thing. Then you can pull them into you easier because you've got that kind of momentum, even, even simply there. It's just kind of one of those things where it's a battle of technique instead of just who's stronger. I think martial arts is one of the few things that 
really teaches you this because it is a game of moving chess where unless you do this, if you dance, you're expecting your partner to go with you. You're not expecting them to fight back. That's not, <laughs> you're probably in the wrong dance unless you're doing capoeira. But um, if you do martial arts, you start to appreciate that you can basically get the opponent to do what you want them to by almost tricking them into a specific scenario. So like you said, if you push, they're going to resist. And then because they've resisted, then you relax and then instantly they create space and that gives you somewhere to move, whether it's to another hold, another lock or to escape. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Completely agree. And, and as you said, like comparing it to chess is perfect because it's just a technique and then a technique to defend it maybe and then a new technique. And you just, it's basically that until someone doesn't know where they're going or what to do. And then it's, I guess, checkmate or they tap. So you learn that soon when when you start because it's you don't know much so you might be going for an arm bar but you don't know what's next so you you go for the arm bar and then they defend and then they've caught you it, it can be that quick or then later down the line it's just like a chain of sequences almost this is what i felt is that when you preempt what you want you you've forgotten that you're working with a partner that is trying to outsmart you they equally could be luring you in to make you think that the arm bar is available but it's not They've got a plan on step three or four, knowing that you're going to go for the armbar. And I think this is why it's always interesting watching fights, especially at the beginning. Boxing, call it anything at all. People are sussing each other out. It's like, if I do this, what do they do? If I move this way, what do they do? Um, if I go for this lock, are they going to respond with this one? Okay, brilliant. Two rounds time, I'm going to get them with that one. And I think patience is a big thing. Would you agree? Definitely, definitely. And, and again, like back to when we start, we, we rush, we push things too much, and then... We create massive openings for people to take advantage of if, if they're you know further along in their kind of technical journey. They're definitely going to utilize on any mistakes you make. So just slowing down and thinking what's next or where am I is, is a great thing to do because you can then think, right, what have I learned here? What do I know? What can I, what can I do to, to stop them doing something and, and start me playing my game instead of being kind of on the defensive? So would you say that the warm-ups really gave you that extra conditioning edge and how important is conditioning in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to stress more about the warm-ups than I would the class because I just, I just wasn't that fit. So to begin with, definitely, definitely it, it you know, makes you stronger. It makes you start to learn how to use your body better and you'll be knackered from the warm-up, but then you can start to work on technique as well. So it's good that it starts to make you think that way as well. A lot of the movements are quite alien to you to begin with. So getting used to that and then learning how to, what well, makes you want to stay fit and get fitter. Obviously you don't want to be completely gassed after the warm up, and then, then you've got about an hour left of class. I think a lot of people think they can get into these things and it's like, oh, it's easy. I just stand up martial art, brilliant. I'll kick him or punch him. Easy, job done. To get in that position for someone to give you their back, that's not an easy position to get into if the person knows what they're doing. Well, they should never really give you their back. It actually made me think about when you were saying about being a doorman. This is something that I find quite interesting. Do you find that because the tendency is to go to ground in BJJ, do you think that the crossover for things like being a bouncer, a doorman, a bodyguard are quite limited on that front where stand-up would be needed more? I guess potentially to begin with but worst case scenario you end up on the ground and someone stood over you so it's amazing for self-defense 
worst possible situation you could be in is someone stood over you, isn't it? So if you know how to even to safely get up and run away, because you you know any sort of self defence situation, you should be doing that. If you can maybe sweep them and get up and and run, or you know if, if you can work somehow to get back to your feet, then it's going to teach you that as well, because you know particularly for women if they're in a worse situation against a stronger opponent they can use something with a bit more technique they can work momentum or someone's weight against them and hopefully get out of that situation so i guess you would think kind of krav maga and things to begin with for self-defense but it's like bdj is also super useful for that and you know we, we do do a lot of judo throws and things to begin with so that you can learn to take it to the ground because you know all fights do start standing so you've got to somehow get it to the ground to start playing your bjj game yeah someone doesn't go into a submissive posture and just go right i'm gonna go on my back <laughs> and we're gonna start from here because i like fighting from from my back personally but it's up to you mate it's up to you primarily the martial art i've been involved with for years has been stand up using weapons and, and that as well or to learn how to use them or to defend against them angelo was a doorman at one point as well and it was interesting it's like he said whatever the weakness is that's going to be the thing that's going to going to harm you if you can't transition so if you don't have a stand up you you have no transition phase and you're not good on the ground it's probably going to be the point that catches you out this is the thing uh, that i tend to reflect on quite a lot when you're on the floor you have to create more space so you have to work harder to make space when you stand up you've got the option of using more footwork you can step back you could run away this is why i've got a lot of appreciation for guys and ladies that do do it because you have to be so good with your ability to absorb, deflect, project, all these different principles, I think it really homes it in when you do stand up. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, if, if you're on your back with someone on top of you, putting their pressure through, as you said, you can't run away, you've got the floor under you and them. So you're just, you're just sandwiched between them and the floor and you've got to create that space so that you can get out or get on top and kind of work to somewhere safer. I mean, you know, I, I do like rolling or sparring off my back I, I do like a lot of submissions and a lot of positions off my back because there's a lot of opportunities that you can you know you can shoot up arm bars triangles and things like that to either tap out or sweep your opponent so it definitely teaches you how to be more offensive in dangerous positions and hopefully i never need to use it in a self-defense situation but it's nice to know that hopefully i've got something in my back pocket that can get me safer and get me away quicker by either taking them down and hopefully not having to break something or put them to sleep. But if that needs to be used, then you can do that and get away. You said the difference between gi and no gi. How would you describe the differences in terms of how that changes the way you roll or submissions or just the whole practice? How would would it differ? So I'd say gi is more, it's a bit slower. It's a bit more technical. There's more judo throws and things like that. You've obviously got, you can grab their kimono or gi and use it to choke them or you can grab your own so there's a lot of things it's almost like having a suit of handles <laughs> to control someone with whereas no gi you can't grab the shorts or the top or whatever it, it turns into more like wrestling because you've got to rely on overhooks over the neck or you've got to like underhook under their arm or change your grips a little bit and use their anatomy a little more. So grabbing over the knee or the elbow is obviously a lot easier because you can't slide off. So it does definitely change the game. I, I do prefer the nogi because it's just a bit quicker and I really enjoy the wrestling side of it. Not so much being dumped down after being taken down, but I enjoy taking someone down. <laughs> but 
yeah, I, I definitely enjoy the no gi more as a competitor as well because the the gi tends to slow it down a bit. Would you say there's less strength used in no gi? Probably more technique in the gi just because there's so okay. many different wraps and things you can do with the gi jacket but but then i guess with the gi a lot of it can be grip strength as well so mm. i guess it, it does depend on the situation and the uh practitioner probably so where did yoga come into the equation i mean obviously you've come from a like you said i know you've done bro workouts we've all been there we've all done it when you come from that background you tend to think force in movement out so you tend to just see this this equation if i put x amount of energy in this weight moves from point a to point b so when you start to compile mobility into the equation you start to think oh my body can move in a different way like a shoulder joint doesn't move as a linear pattern it should move in many different directions and if your shoulder does move in a very linear pattern especially with something like an arm bar there's no way on earth you're going to be able to roll out of that thing so did you find yoga was one of those things that was needed and how did you get into it in the first place well stretching before for me or warming up was again when i was doing bro workouts or whatever it was getting under the bar with no weight on it and moving it a bit that was like oh my chest's warm now you know so i never really stretched before and i was probably introduced to stretching when i started the muay thai just because as part of the warm-up you'd stretch your hamstrings and things like that with the yoga i was introduced to that because i kept getting injured and a lot of practitioners usually find what I do yoga for BJJ because they're injured and then they tend to keep it up because they notice the benefits. So it's kind of, you do the damage and then you realize you need to kind of undo it a bit. So I didn't find any of that until I think I was a blue or purple belt and I injured my knee, I'd injured my shoulder and I just kept getting injuries. Then I dislocated my elbow and I had to start rehabbing that and things. And then I found that we've got like rehab programs where we've got like a licensed osteopath that does them. Uh, obviously, I'm just like a yoga teacher, so that's not something I do, but they, they helped me rehab some injuries and the kind of yoga flows and things started to help me realize that those movements actually benefit my jujitsu as well. It's not just like a rehab thing. It's like, oh, wow, I feel better when I'm on the mats. If I stretch before class, I feel great. If I don't stretch before class, I don't feel it's great. So it, it's kind of one of those things, if you don't do it, you realize how good it feels once you have as well. My perspective on it was, this is a stretch for this bit, this is a stretch for this bit, putting it really simply. But when I started to add yoga asana into the equation, there was a transition phase. And that transition phase sort of, for me, I felt like it became more natural to move from point A to point B and everything in between. So when I started to move and apply that back to martial arts, it seemed effortless. And I think the transition phase is the thing that really is important. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be asana, but I felt that anything that allowed you to flow through deeper movement patterns tends to sort of open up some extra space, which is so important, especially in, in this type of art. Definitely. And, and it can start with you just finding a few stretches and not even realizing that it's going to help your movement. You know, you, you'll probably at first just think, oh, I'll be able to forward fold better and and that that'll help my hamstring flexibility but then once you've done some some flows and things yeah that controlled movement will carry over to what you do you're more aware of your body as you're moving what you're using you know what needs to be opened up more and that definitely carries over because you know if, if you know how your body moves in certain positions when someone's forcing you into those positions you've got that confidence of knowing right well i know i can go here i know it hurts if i go further so i'm out or Maybe you can use something to, like I said, I like 
fighting off my back. I can sort of use pull my leg in, get it over their head sometimes and get submissions from that. Whereas if I hadn't done that sort of worked on my flexibility there, I wouldn't know the kind of range of motion I've got to use that safely in a fight. As I said, it can just start with a few stretches and then you start to notice the benefits and you think, ah, I'm going to do this more. I suppose if you're in a position where your vision's limited and all of a sudden a shin comes in and you're getting choked out on the shin, you think, whose leg is this? (laughs) Where has this come from? So it's, I mean, you see now, and obviously we'll go into your involvement with UFC as well, but you see this so so much more, especially as athletes have become so well-rounded through so many different disciplines. It's almost like the ones at the top have got so good at so many different things. Like there's no part of their game which doesn't exist. There may be things they're better at, but they have a knowledge of almost everything. So if they do get in that position, they're back to their feet very quickly or whatever it might be. This episode is sponsored by Ape Nutrition. As a company, their ethos to support sustainable farming methods and a no-satel nutrient-dense approach really resonates with me for environmental purposes and overall human performance. To find out more about their nutritional products and to support the podcast, head to apenutrition.co.uk and use the code HUMAN, H-U-M-A-N, at the checkout to save 10%. Back to the podcast. What other training has assisted your martial arts? So I think, as I said, to begin with, just the gym, that probably helped a bit because that helped me get a bit of strength, whereas I didn't really have it much before. I don't do loads of other sports because I tend to find I'll start it, start enjoying it. And then if I get consistent with it, I go, oh, I could I could fit in a jujitsu class there. So I try I started bouldering a few years ago with my friends and I was really enjoying it. And then after a few weeks, I was like, oh, I could probably just train that night. So I went back to training, which is a real shame. But I think in terms of extra things you can do, you know, anything's going to help. But it's just, again, doing it consistently. I I probably just train jujitsu these days, yoga or mobility work, you know, the physical sort of asana and postures and things. And then a bit of stuff at the gym, nothing really extra. I did get into kickboxing again during lockdown which I really enjoyed but that's just fallen right off so I I need to get back into that but that's that's the same thing I'd rather do jujitsu and kind of learn more techniques and get better that way so I also read that you've competed and you've achieved a fairly good standard let's put it that way I've yeah I've competed quite a lot on uh, some submission only shows recently or that well pre kind of lockdown and everything I was doing them more Uh, things are starting to get back to normal with competitions so the submission only shows are really good because you're invited on you get a good match up and it's kind of an exhibition match which is really fun i've also done some ibjjf tournaments which are good fun that's the international brazilian jiu-jitsu federation they kind of do the prestigious tournaments that anyone can sign up but they're the ones to do if you want to kind of get somewhere i've been british national champion twice with them english open champion a few times as well which is cool and quite a few kind of local open comps that they do too which aren't as big but uh, they're always fun because you know you, you get different competitors and things compete a few weeks ago as well which was really cool to get back to it at the Hanson Dorset Open so I managed to get silver in that which was really good fun I, I try and compete as much as I can but um, it's just finding the right ones and kind of getting a team there and, and really enjoying it. How are these matched up in the initial stages? Are they matched up by gradings or are they completely random? Yeah, basically with the gi stuff, it's white belt, blue belt, purple belt, 
brown belt and then black belt and then there's like weight divisions as well so i used to compete in the ultra heavyweight division which was over 100 kilo and now i'm in the uh, super heavyweight which is under 100 kilo i was kind of lower end of the ultra heavyweight because that's like anything over 100 kilo so you get some units in that what was the biggest not like it means too much as we discussed if you're if you're great at what you do then weight is just a it can be a limiting factor actually but what was sort of the biggest biggest guy you've come up against um so you don't always have to weigh in for them and you don't always know people's weight as long as they're on weight so i i don't know just big it could be anything <laughs> you know you could get someone the size of the mountain in that division and he's what i think he's about 190 isn't he or he mm. was i think he's cut down now but yeah or you could get someone i'd be between 105 and probably I think my heaviest was 118 at one point. And then I've cut down and I just kind of hover around 100 kilo now so I can cut under for competition. And I find just being the kind of high end of that super heavy category, that's better because I know we're kind of a similar weight and I feel like it's just a more exciting match that way as well. Yeah, because I suppose you don't want to get caught under someone who's like 190 because that would just be, that would be insane. That'd be horrendous. I mean, if, if they get into a mount position, you need to be on point to sort of get out of that situation yeah it's like like trying to move around under a car yeah so <laughs> it's not gonna happen <laughs> and i think the the community is important because it's something that a lot of us missed out on and i think regardless of what we get into if you've got a group of good lads ladies mixed group whatever it might be there's just something about that even just to experience it you don't necessarily have to win do you find in terms of like the lessons you've learned during practice do you find that the losses have taught you quite a lot about the way you move definitely yeah i mean everyone loves a gold medal there's no, there's nothing better than standing on top of a podium you know everything's gone well for you that day that's brilliant but i've learned a lot more off of losses than i have from gold medals because you know gold medal means you've worked your a game and everything's gone well for you that day whereas a silver medal or a bronze medal means something went wrong and i've gone back to my head coach uh, james hardy with a lot of issues in the past where I've gone, this happened in this position, or I've showed him the video, and he's gone, right, let's undo that. Let's see what went wrong, and we'll work it. And then hopefully next competition, if we get there, I've learned from there, and then I can progress past that. So you do tend to learn a lot from the losses, even, even in sparring. You know, if someone taps you, that's, that's a mistake you've made, or you've let them do something. So how can you work out of that, or prolong that happening, or stop it in future? Go back to the whole chess analogy. Was it Queen's Gambit? Was that the name of the uh, the thing on Netflix? It was really interesting, I think. I'm just trying to find things that people relate to. They used to replay the match, get back to exactly the same scenario that happened, and then go from that point. Is that something you guys do as well? Move back to that position and say, right, this is how we could work out of it. This is how you shouldn't move out of it. Definitely. Get back there, see what works, see what doesn't see what's safe and see what isn't. And that's why it progresses so quickly as well. There's there's all these guys now that bring out these instructionals that are, you know, a completely new position. It's it's not this thing that's it's not this martial art that's just done. These people get to these positions that might be like halfway through a transition and then they'll create a whole game, a whole instructional there. And then you go, wow, like I didn't even know there was a position there. They've just slowed something down and now they're working with that. So yeah, I, th I think it's all about just seeing what you can progress from different positions and adding it to your game. Some of it might not work, but if you learn that position, you'll learn how to defend it as well. You'll learn what they need to do. So 
you know, not everything's for you. I, I, I don't play a jujitsu game that like a, a smaller, more agile person would play, but I have to learn what they would do because it kind of helps you to learn everything and to stop sometimes and go, right, what can we do from here? What works for me from here? You were saying about fighting off your back. Do you find that because you are a taller guy, that using your limb length is a massive advantage? Because I know, for instance, if I was trying to move into any form of mount position and I'm standing over you, your legs are going to keep me well away. It's going to be quite hard to sort of get into that space. Whereas, say, a smaller guy, how would that differ, say, between a tall guy, a smaller guy? How, how would that change the way you fight? As you said, the long legs are a huge advantage, but they're also a bit of a disadvantage sometimes as well because the smaller guys, they can get under you, they can set up things with their legs a lot easier and, and it's going to be tighter. Whereas, you know, my longer legs, I might be able to reach more. It might be harder to get around them but I'm going to create a lot more gaps as well when things start to get tight. So it's a bit of a blessing and a curse at times. And then obviously you have to develop a game around what works for you there. So, you know, if someone's in tight, I'm never going to be able to get my legs on the inside and lock them up with things, but I can get them over and around them a bit easier. But also you've got to have the mobility there because if you can't move to that position or create more space and open out more, then you're limited there too. There's a lot that comes into it. So it's, it's, it's exciting as well because I could be matched up against someone my height, but our different attributes within that are going to come into it too. Yeah, we see this a lot with different movement practitioners. Say they're trying to learn L-sit to handstand. Some people have longer arms, some people have shorter torso, and, and all of these different things do play a part in it. So they might need to work a bit harder to create space between themselves and the ground. We have got these things we need to work with. It's not a case of one size fits all. It's like, right, what's my game? How does that differ with this person? I was always told if you think of a tank turret, if you can get inside that range, that needs to sweep round. And if you're in front of it, you're buggered. But if you can get inside that range, it's useless. Definitely. And if you can get, you know, if you can pass someone, so get to say side control or whatever, and a similar thing, if you can block their hip, if you can get around enough to be able to block their hip and stop them from getting their legs in, it's, it's almost like that kind of turret analogy. They can't then turn in. Whereas if, if there's something that's not blocking that anymore, they can recover, get to a better position and potentially sweep you. All about closing that distance, not making any mistakes on the way, obviously, but closing any space they're creating whilst going for your own things as well. So there's so much to think about, which is why it's so exciting, really. Just realized we've been talking about different sort of mount positions and control positions. Could you just go through the differences between these so people can sort of visualize what we're actually discussing here yeah sure yeah so uh say if i'm on my back probably in in mma you'd see more like frequently um if i'm on my back and you're like between my legs you're in a guard position you're in my guard and then if you stepped over one of my legs you would then be in half guard and then if you stepped over both my legs so almost like you're laying on top of me at like a bit of a right angle um, we're kind of chest to chest that would be side control and then if you stepped your legs over, so almost like you're sat on me with your legs either side of me, that would be a mount position. And then if you took my back, so almost like I'm wearing you like a backpack uh, with your legs over my hips, that would be rear mount or taking my back. And that's probably the way you'd go through it as well. You'd start off, even if you were standing, you'd be in someone's open guard or you'd be trying to pass their guard and then you'd pass to either half or side control. And then hopefully you'd pass the mount or take the back. The best position you want to be in, as you said earlier, is having someone's back because they're in danger. And then from that mount as well, it's super good because you can 
do all sorts with the arms. You can choke them and things like that. There's a lot of leg entanglement positions as well. And that gets crazy technical. It's, it's so much fun. It's very dangerous because a lot can go wrong in the knees when you go for leg locks and things. But uh, they're, they're the kind of basic positions. I suppose in the legs as well, you've got less sensitivity as the one applying it as well. Whereas when you're using your hands, you, we're used to using the fingertips. We're used to using these nerve endings consistently. So they are much more sensitive. And you've got a neck behind your knee and you're cranking on the lock, surely there's a point where you're like, okay, you're waiting for that tap as sort of your way of knowing whether they're at the end. But I suppose for some people, they might choke out before you know, before they get a chance to tap. Also, this is something that I don't think people are aware of. The differences in chokes, you can have air or blood choke and they can differ slightly. Are there certain techniques that lend themselves better to some and not others? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you might just get somewhere and that choke is on straight away, or sometimes you might apply a choke and, and they think they're okay for a few seconds. You know it's on and you just hold it on. It gets deeper and deeper and then eventually they'll tap or go to sleep. You know, you never want to do it to your training partners. It does happen sometimes. We all have a laugh, but uh, everyone wakes up saying, why are you in my bedroom? <laughs> but sometimes it happens sometimes it will be a quicker choke or a slower choke but it's knowing when it's on and waiting before you rush to something else because to start with you'll think oh that's not on and you might have only held it for a couple of seconds and then you'll jump to something else whereas if you've used all that energy to get there and you just pause for a second you might still get it what you always see when you're watching some of the mixed martial arts fights and the commentators going, yep, it's on, it's on. And you're thinking, the guy's still moving. He's like, no, 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 he's done, he's done. And then all of a sudden, boom, lights out and that's it. And the ref's in. I suppose for some people that aren't aware of it, could you also go into how it can be done, I say safely, loosely, I, I use that word very loosely, how you can black out or have a knockout without causing too much. And obviously everything has... A knock-on effect every knockout you get is going to probably make you more sensitive to knockouts but submissions can be done more safely let's put it that way it's all about trusting your training partners and looking after them as well which sounds funny because we're all trying to snap each other's limbs and put each other to sleep but it's applying things safely and sensibly so you might get an arm bar on someone and if you're holding that wrist and driving all that pressure in your hips in just do it a bit slower you know, you don't have to snap things on because then things snap, you know, or, or if you've got someone in a leg lock, just apply that pressure a little slower, give them an opportunity to tap. And then, you know, we're all going to be able to go to work the next day. You, you don't want to be rushing things and putting things on too quickly because then also that could create a bit of an ego within the gym. They might be like, oh, well, I'm going to get him back. And then, it, you know, it just creates a bit of an unsafe environment. Whereas if everyone's friendly, you're applying it slowly and then there's that understanding that yeah you got me tap or whatever you know i've got some training partners that they'll have something on and i know i'm safe and i can try and work and escape for a bit longer and then unfortunately there's some people where you think he takes no survivors you know i'll tap early because he snaps it on and they're, they're not necessarily the people you want to train with often because you know you can get injured but the more you do it the more you learn look after your training partners or you'll have none and you won't progress do you find some of the new guys that come in, sometimes they need to be checked a little bit for that and sometimes given a bit of a hard lesson. I mean, I've had it before when, when I was learning and witnessed people that come in deliberately trying to be awkward. Not awkward as in just doing what you feel they should do, but just not allowing a technique to flow or trying to hurt someone just to sort of prove something ego-wise. So do you find that sometimes they need to just get a bit of a harsh reality of what can be done by some of the senior members? Yeah, and... And it is so humbling when you first go into a gym because when you start, 
you think you can handle yourself, but then you might be able to against someone else untrained, but you go against someone trained that's 20, 30 kilo lighter than you and they're wiping the floor with you, you soon learn that you know, you've, you've got nothing really. And that's why maybe people start putting things on too hard. And sometimes maybe you might have to say, oh, just, just slow it down a bit or give them an opportunity to tap or look after them. Or maybe they need to feel someone do that to them. But I think after people have been doing it for a while, it does humble them and they do slow down. So yeah, I, I just think it's something we all probably go through to start with, going too hard, going crazy, and then oh, this actually works if I slow down. And then, oh, I can rely on my technique more too. And, and then it just progresses from there. We've got one member of our group that is a, he's a big guy and he was throwing in some movements and this guy's core is wide. So his like center of mass, when he shifts it, when he gets it correct, you have to almost go, whoa, 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 whoa. my elbow's going to pop. Because there's been a few occasions where he dropped in something called a dumog, basically different sort of locks, so running down the arm can almost dislocate the shoulder if it's done correctly. And he dropped this in, and I literally felt my shoulder move, and I said, I was like, whoa, 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 don't use your core again, <laughs> just a bit, just just a little bit, because like you said, we do need to go to work, and training is there to say, you know when it's on. The last bit's easy. If you're in the right position, this is what I've always felt. If you're in the correct position, if your posture's good. All you need to do is drop your weight into whatever it might be and it works. You don't need to overpower it. You don't need to hurt a partner. It's just not needed. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time, if you are overpowering it and adding too much to that, it might be because something at the start of whatever you're doing is not as kind of tight or there's not enough technique in it. So if you just rewind to the start of the setup, get everything tight enough, think about their anatomy, where it is, what angle it needs to be in, and then slowly apply that pressure you'll feel it more and then someone might fall into it or you might set it up quickly in training. You know exactly where things need to be to apply it properly. You soon learn that, with, well, with a lot of physical things, slowing it down and learning the technique is way more beneficial than just strong-arming everything. Going slow is something that comes up repeatedly in my own training, on the podcast, everything. It just always comes back to it. I saw a great thing the other day. It was just a quote from an older lady in the hundreds. And she said, what's your main bit of feedback for the younger generation? It was just to slow down because you realize that you might go 10 years in a martial art and you've gone way too quick and you missed out on all your details. So sometimes you're stepping back, analyzing one technique for two hours might yield so much more benefit than saying, right, next one, next one, next one. Because effectively all you're doing is skimming the surface and not actually getting to the principles of what allows you to learn any technique because techniques are just expressions of human movement principles effectively aren't they which is what you probably apply to yoga as well yeah you could do a class on an arm bar and think oh i know that now i don't need to learn that anymore but then you know someone might come in the room that knows way more about arm bars than you and they might just change a little angle change a little detail uh, how to break the grip better and things like that there's always a way of progressing what you know so never shut down that learning never think you know everything always kind of remain a practitioner it's like you, should, you shouldn't get to black belt and be like oh I've completed it mate you know and then just just it's done there's so much more to learn i was always told the black belts at the beginning you spend your your first part of whatever it might be unwinding unloading false information unloading bad habits and when you get to black belt it's almost like the point of which you can move on from that point this is almost the beginning of everything yeah 
definitely, definitely. And, and the whole way through all the other belts, you think, oh, I'll get my black belt one day. Hopefully I'll get my black belt. And then you get there. And as you said, it's like, wow, this is just the beginning. It's like white belt, black belt. Let's go. Let's learn more. And that's, that's the best way to look at it, I think. Anyone that's got the black belt would look at it that way. No one looks at it as, oh, I don't need to learn anything now because they've gone through that humbling experience of all the other belts, maybe competing or hours in the gym. It's almost like, especially in the West, I think we tend to want to reward ourselves with certificates and achievements. And I think they're valid because, like you said, you spent years with your teacher and the people you spar with. It makes you realize you got to a certain level, which is important. I think when you realize you've got to that level, it's like, okay, I've earned this, but I need to understand that, like you said, there's always a learning process that occurs from this point. What I've actually seen as well, which is really interesting, you've gone from the basics to the advanced movements, but then you come back to the basics. It's like you almost go, oh, okay, now I've seen that those basic patterns that we learned on day one, that's the foundation. That is everything. All the advanced stuff is the basics anyway. But you need to almost go through all the, the toolbox, learn every tool, how it works in order to come back to that. Yes. Yeah, come back to it and, and learn even more about it. I remember uh, before I got my black belt, my coach, James, said to me, when he got to his black belt, he stopped looking at belts and, and that system, and he just started looking at ability levels because it's so true. You, you can learn something from anyone. Just because someone might be a purple belt or a brown belt doesn't mean they can't show you something you've never seen before. Or even, you know, a blue belt might do something or a white belt might do something completely different to what you've seen before. And you might think, oh, maybe there's something there. There's so many different ways of moving the human body. So if you just shut down and think, I've learned everything, that's kind of when, it, when it's going wrong. I think this is why a lot of martial artists go and seek different styles as well. Not because some of them get distracted. Some do, some don't. But because they're looking just to see, is there something else I can add to this that just makes it a little bit better, a little bit tighter? It's like an arm bar for us now is not an arm bar, it's a spine bar. It's like, how can you lock up the base of the spine with an armbar or a finger lock because then you've locked the whole body up instead of just looking for pain compliance the person is completely immobile and you can do whatever you need to from that point if you need to strike do whatever you need to it's available but the person's got no posture because they're just crunched down in their own position and i think that put a whole new spin on it it's like okay it's not a limbar it is it's a body it's the whole thing is for your posture yeah yeah and it's it's very similar to a lot of movement things you know there's there's a lot in yoga where as you learn more and more like the physical side of yoga as you learn more and more you'll be like oh this you know if i tilt my hips in this way like in this pose it's similar and i can stretch this more whereas it's a similar thing in jiu-jitsu you know you might be like the arm bar the, the angle of that and if i lift my hips more here or if i move their arms their thumbs up and i'm hyperextending the joint more that carries over to knee bars and then heel hooks you know if you've got a similar pressure on the heel when you've got the toes pointing away and then you bridge into the side of the knee it's like oh similar thing so there's so many similarities but you have to learn all those different positions to then learn the similarities between them the more and more you learn it's almost like as you said i guess yeah the more you go back to your basics and that first thing you learn so so when i started to find asana or mobility as an example it was almost like i was teaching myself how to like unlock the body so then it actually taught me more about locking up the body because all you do is counter it. You just reverse the sequence. So if I want to unlock my spine, I can use a derailment of the posterior chain by bending my knees. If I want to fold forwards to make it easier, instead of locking my knees out, I just bend the knees. Whereas if I wanted to lock someone up, I would make sure that the knees extended and then I try and get into their spine. 
because they can't go anywhere because you've locked the whole chain up. I think understanding anatomy is a very important process as well. Definitely. And, and I think that's helped my jiu-jitsu as well, learning more about the anatomy, learning more about how we move, how important balance is or putting someone off and what you can use against them to kind of change them. So as you were saying, you know, make someone uncomfortable, twisting them up or turning something in one direction in order to off balance them and turn them one way or force them to make a mistake or do something that that's massive. And the more you learn about the human body and how it works, and the more you learn about your body and where it's comfortable and how it works, the more you can apply that to your, your martial art or, or your jujitsu. There's something primal about it as well, isn't there? Martial arts and wrestling or whatever it might be is two people when they're sparring, they've got this, this, this contact as well. It's something that I think has been built into our whole evolution. It, we're sort of meant to do it. It's like a way of greeting each other almost. It's like wrestling was part of the, the, the thing. Then it'd be sort of dance. There might be a bit of movement. It's all seemed to be part of that, that sequence. My wrestling coach, the guy that teaches the wrestling at the academy, he, uh, he, he's so good with all that because he applies it to jiu-jitsu. He's so kind of free and just flows when you wrestle with him. I mean, he, he's from Hungary and he's been wrestling since he was like a child. So he, it's just ingrained in him. And he, it, you just feel all technique. There's, there's no strength when you train with him and it's playful, but he just mauls you. <laughs> so, and, and he's learned that, he's mastered that and you can feel it when you train with him. And, and I think that's really important. Just letting go and that free movement is, is massive. I think that it's hard to fight someone when they have no feedback. So if someone is completely relaxed, it's like they're like rubber. You can't get it on because everything behind the lock is so relaxed. You can't take any tension up because there's no fixed reference point to bar against. And that to me is like a true master. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're looking for that resistance to get some momentum from it. Or again, back to that push pull we were talking about at the start. If you're not getting that because they're just, they see what's happening and they're just moving around it, then, then you start to struggle because you can't play your game. It's, it's all their game. They might be defending, but something's coming and uh, you usually it ends up being picked up or taken down very graciously, but uh, yeah, usually end up on the floor. You've got involved with UFC over the, the last few years. Could you explain how you got into that and what your role is? Yeah, yeah, sure. So that all started with Bama, which was a big sort of English mixed martial arts promotion and Lee Doyle, our mutual friend, actually. <laughs> um, he got me on it. Basically, I was just walking fighters to, uh, to him and then he'd walk the fighters out to begin with and I'd have to do all the checks backstage. So I'd have to be checking everything, checking their kit over, making sure that's all legit making sure their hands are wrapped the right way, making sure their gloves are on, they've got the right gloves on and they're taped and everything. We have to check all sorts. We have to check the buckets, make sure there's nothing going out with the corners in the buckets that shouldn't go out, make sure it's just like water, you know, towel, ice, and there's nothing that shouldn't be passed around, being passed around. Uh, we also have to help run the show, which is cool. So we have to keep an eye on the cornermen and the fighter during the whole process just to make sure everything's going smoothly and everything's official. Usually it's just getting them to the point where the referee does the checks when they're on camera and pats them down and everything. We've kind of got them to that point so that that goes as smooth as possible. And then during the fight, we obviously keep an eye on the cornermen and the fighter and get in, in between rounds. And there's a few other responsibilities we have. We started doing stuff with Bellator, which was really cool. Then we moved on to a Russian promotion 
uh, it was ACB, it's now ACA. And then I started just like covering guys for UFC. So if the usual team were off, I'd cover. And now I get asked more and more, which is really cool. Our team kind of do that now, which is cool. Well, Lee's team now does that, which is really cool. And uh, we're very lucky to do it because we, we've been to some cool places doing it as well. It was very fun last year because we got to go to Fight Island, which was an experience because I've never been to Abu Dhabi. So it's really fun. And uh, we spent a little bit of time there as well, which was cool. My question for you is, you're 6'9". Most of the fighters are definitely nowhere near that. So will you ever get to walk them out? Or is it because you're way too tall that you'll make them look really small? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Maybe I just get the shorter fighters now because uh, because I was mean for it once. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just wondered because obviously I knew you were out there a few times. Um, I've seen Lee out front. Did he walk out Connor recently as well? He walked out Poria, I think. Oh, Poria. Okay. I, I always wondered if you were, if you're going to come out because I thought, God, after after training on handstands, I then thought, well, this guy's crazy tall. To to see him walk out must be funny because, like you said, some of those photos where they were taken, your head would always get cut off at the top of the photo. I had that vision with this when they were zoomed in. It's like, right, we've got a set of shoulders, but no head. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I actually get tagged in some of the memes from that. And I don't know if the people tagging me in them actually know it's me because my head's cut off or if they're just tagging me because I'm tall. Because I get tagged in tall things, obviously. So uh, that, that's always quite funny. I'm not really sure if people are aware, aware that's me sometimes. Is this something you're going to hopefully continue to do for as long as you can? Definitely, definitely, yeah. I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's great to be around that, especially, you know, the UFC. It's, it's such a big promotion and just witnessing that and being a part of it is is amazing so you know i i did i dabbled in a bit of mma very early on when i first joined um andy roberts but obviously stopped and uh, it's just nice to be that close to it and getting involved it, it's really fun backstage obviously having that part of the event and and knowing that you've been a part of it is is just just amazing it's been fun, seen some cool places as well, seen some places, some areas of Russia that I never would have seen before with the other promotions too. So yeah, really lucky to do it. What's your interaction like with the fighters? Do you see what they're doing backstage in terms of their warm-up? Interested to know if any of them have any form of like stillness as part of their practice, where they actually just sit and focus mentally, whether you want to call it meditation, contemplation. Do you see anyone working on breath work? Is that any of the, the habits these guys adopt? A lot of it is obviously not recorded or anything like that because they've all got their own ways of warming up. And we have to just kind of respect that because some of them might have the upper hand because of what they've done and they don't want to like expose that to people yet. But it's amazing being there and just, you know, we have to remain as professional as possible and have no you know opinion on anyone but it's just very cool to witness it and just be a part of it and and see how the real masters of their trade work it's always interesting to see when whoever's at the top of the weight class is almost just beating everyone which is happening quite consistently now and you're seeing new fighters come through and it must be quite exciting to almost say right well this guy looks like he could be quite good to watch i mean i've seen some incredible fights in the last few months just unbelievable fights, just full on brawls. And you're thinking, how are these guys taking so much punishment? What we see on screen is um, someone who's battered, really. They've taken absolute beating, but I don't think anyone appreciates unless they've been hit how much pain that these guys must be in and ladies must be in for the next week after these things, especially if you break a leg, as we've seen recently as well. Taking that front leg, 
seems to be a huge thing that sort of really come into it. You almost go through these phases as well, don't you? It's like the, there's like a common attack or defense that's used repeatedly. And then it's like, right, the trend of leg kicks or spinning back fists or something might come in. And it seems to be this little trend that almost works its way in. I love how that, how something gets introduced and then everyone slowly goes, ah, oh, right, okay. And then, and then it just makes its way into more and more fights. And as basic as when it was like early days UFC, when it wasn't particularly like mixed martial artists, was it? It was a boxer against, uh, you know, whatever, like a different discipline. Then people started learning, like, oh, oh grappling helps here, so I'll, I'll learn that. And then everyone started learning more and more. So at first it was, oh, jujitsu. People are learning jujitsu now because that's the ground game. Then it was like, oh, people are learning to wrestle because that helps. And, and now it's as little as like a calf kick. Now people are like, oh, everyone's working the calf kick or like this. And it's now like small techniques because it's evolved so much. And everyone's such a well-rounded, like more mixed martial artist now. So it's, it's crazy to see it evolve like that. And that's why it excites me so much because I've never been into sports that much. Like I've never followed like football or, or rugby or anything like that. I just, I just struggle to keep up. But MMA and things is constantly evolving and there's constantly things being added to it. So it kind of keeps my interest and it's just so cool to see it grow. It's like the shoulder technique that Connor was using a while ago. I was shown that by a, an old Filipino man in 2014 and he was, it was a common practice within their art. They, they'd hold the back of the head and they'd lock the shoulder and they'd drop the shoulder up into the chin repeatedly that was the way they used to knock people out because they're in close and it was a clinch step busy standing wrestling do my gip it and they're dropping this elbow in and the guy's getting one on the chin every time and then obviously in 2000 was it this year was it this uh Cerrone? was it this year or last year yeah it was this this year or last yeah and, and then all of a sudden it's like wow this this technique's just come out of nowhere but it's interesting i'm sure there's been little inputs from all over the world that, that people go do you know what we could use that that, that technique could work really well because no one expects a shoulder to come up. They're expecting an elbow or a headbutt or, or a hand. And I think, yeah, like you know, knockout by hip or knockout by <laughs> by lower rib. You never know. It, it, a knockout's a knockout and a, and a win's a win. We have an anatomy and if you can use it, then so be it. I think it's, it's interesting to see how many different ways the human body can work. And it can only get better. It can only get more technical. It has to. Yeah, and, and these things develop in gyms and you know, we see them when they've mastered it. it. It makes you think, what are people working on now that's going to come through in, in a few months or you know, maybe a few weeks because they're probably watching tape. They're probably watching their opponents and going, ah, he does that well. Can we do that? They're going, right, let's try it in training. They're getting on the mat. They're trying it. Ah, it doesn't work. Or maybe I can do this from here. They're constantly progressing. They're constantly learning. They're probably not going to try something new in a fight at that level, but the more and more they do it, the more they see people do it, the more it opens the game up and the more it evolves. Yeah, and I suppose if you're losing, you, if you've got this technique, you think, do you know what? I'm, I'm getting absolutely battered here. I'm just going to try it. And sometimes it pays off. I think it, this happens in life as well because what I was also going to say to you is what have you learned from your experience with everything, but yoga, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, have you found that certain disciplines, ways of living your life have crossed over into everyday life? Do you feel that it's, it's transversed from martial arts into just being you, relationships, life in general? Yeah, I, I think any, anything you're consistent in, 
and anything that you want to improve at or get better at i think jiu-jitsu teaches you that you're going to make mistakes you know in jiu-jitsu you're going to get tapped you're going to lose but you don't just go to the gym get tapped and go ah i lose i go home you go why did i get tapped or what went wrong there and what do i need to learn to not do that again and you can adapt that to anything that's i mean that's why i love the handstand stuff because it's such a massive technique just learning to balance in a handstand for 30 seconds and it's so rewarding because you can come down and go oh what did i do wrong there ah what, what do i need to do to just be more comfortable or be better there so i try and adapt it with everything naturally just because it's what i've done for years and getting that honest feedback and learning from your mistakes is huge in anything i think yeah i i tended to find that when i was going through times where mentally and maybe it wasn't as stable as, as things are now like as comfortable with, with things that martial arts did teach me you, you turn up to fail you, you turn up to fail every time because if you're not if you turn up to succeed repeatedly yeah you can have little wins but this is life like every single day that we go through has good and bad things that happen obviously if you want to put it within that context but if you just see it as life it's just training it's just practice it puts a whole different spin on it i'm just going to go to practice and just i'm just going to train I'm just going to see what happens. And if we approach every day in that, in that manner, then it does carry across. In that hour, if you failed a thousand times because you've repeatedly not done the technique perfectly, which you never will, what, what a great lesson that we can sort of apply to everything. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it could be work, it could be relationships, it could be a course you're on. You, you're going to make mistakes. We're human. But if you learn from those mistakes, you'll make them less. And that's another thing as well, always learning, as I said earlier, learn off everyone, at least give people the time to learn off them. And hopefully some of it you'll, you'll adapt or, you know, take on board. Some of it you might not, you might be like, that's not for me, but at least you've listened and you've kind of looked for that opportunity to learn off them. This is the other thing. I just, just countering what I said earlier. If you get a white belt, you get someone who's brand new, they're going to come in without any conditioning they don't know what they're stepping into. So they've come in with this blank canvas. They might throw something out in the first week or month of their learning process. And you go, oh my God, how do we never see this? Because they've just come in with this. They don't know what BJJ is. They don't know what a martial art is. They've just gone, yeah, this is the way I do it. And you think, well, that, that's a game changer because they haven't got a preconceived concept of what should be done. It's like babies are born, children are born into the world and they just do their thing. They don't know what's right and wrong. And for many years, many of us don't. The older we get, there's, there's many discussions about well, what age we know. But I'm sure many teenage lads will definitely sort of be able to say, do you know what? I messed up so many times. And many of us do. And we do stupid things. That's just part of growing up. But they're all part of the learning process. You have to mess up. You have to go in with that blank canvas and make mistakes because you don't learn otherwise. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, even, even teaching or showing someone something they might ask you a question that you've never had asked about a technique or something so if you listen to that person they might say oh why don't i do this and you might know the answer but you might not know that you know the answer so it might be like oh because you're exposing your back there then you might think oh yeah i need to turn away from them more so i don't expose my back and that's going to help you so teaching or helping someone you know even if you're not a coach in what you do if you're training with someone try and help them and they're going to help you as well. It's such a massive thing. You know, those, those questions people ask, if that's never been asked you before, you're going to learn from that because it makes you think differently about something and address it in a different way. Yeah, so true. And I found with teaching, you always get 
which is a good thing. Um, you get someone who throws that question at you. Go, Damn, like I'd prepared for everything, but not that one. And uh, the way I deal with it now is let's work it out together. Or do you know what? I know someone who can answer that question or I'll go away and find out and I'll come back to you. But maybe I need to work through this thing as well because I think being transparent as a coach is really important as well. You can't bullshit. You can to a degree, but it, in my opinion, it's not the right thing to do. I'd much rather say, do you know what? I haven't worked through that. Let's try and work it out together. Let's try it on you. You try it on me. See if we can find the result because it shows that we're all on this journey together. And just because one's slightly ahead of the other doesn't mean you can't learn the process and still discover things together, like you said. Yeah, definitely. And, and, it, and it makes you more accountable, like you said. If, if someone asks you something and you say, I don't know, let me get back to you. Or if, if I'm teaching a jiu-jitsu class and someone says, oh, what happens if I do this? I'll say, oh, let, let's show me, show me, let's do it. Let's do it together. Or if they say, oh, this isn't working, what do I need to do? Show me, let's do it. And then you're getting on the mat and you're, you're looking what they say might work. And I'm, sometimes I'll say, oh, well, that might work for you, but I prefer to do this. This is why. But if that works, keep going with that because, you know, we're all different. And sometimes, like, I learned this quick when I started teaching as well because I'd teach something and I'd go over all the kind of easier details too much and, and the more, you know, just a little hip change. I wouldn't even mention that. And people would be like, oh, I'm really struggling here. But for me, that would be obvious. But for them, they need to be told to do that. So, learn how people learn as well it shouldn't be this is how i say it do it you know it should never be that it should be let's let's do this together like you said we're learning together yeah so i used to find this when i used to teach asana when i first started teaching yoga it's like right it's very simple to say inhale up exhale down but people are like well where do my feet go what's my posture doing uh, where am i looking so in the end you actually build up all these cues where it's like right ground the feet lift up through the core, take a full breath in as it inhales, feel it come into the lungs in this way and all this sort of stuff. And then what you find is almost goes back to what we said earlier. You start with almost being a little bit too vague. You get quite technical and you say quite a lot and it's almost like you've talked solidly for two hours. Now I just go to about two or three cues because I look around the room and go, are they going to remember 10 cues per movement? Or is it just like, right, one thing, work on it for 10 minutes, we'll come back, we'll add the second cue. Discover it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Start off super, super basic. And if, if, they're, if they're fine, leave them. Or if you think they need a little more, you can start adding, adding things in, which is when it gets fun. But, you know, a beginner's class, you could teach one technique, you know, and, and just work on the foundations of doing it. And then you could teach in an advanced class. You could teach that same technique and break it down and, and really go over it. You know, one, one of the basic like uh, gi chokes in jiu-jitsu is, is like a cross choke. And you might think you've, learned, you've done that, you've mastered that. But if you learn that off Roger Gracie, he's won world championships with that. He's going to show you a hundred things that you can, you can learn from that technique and go into it in more detail. Whereas someone else that's teaching beginners can show it in five minutes. So it's, yeah, it's all about teaching to your level. And as you said, with yoga, just letting it flow as well. That, that's, that's good letting people work with their bodies and work through it. I like doing that, yeah. Yeah, because I've found some of the most influential people in my life, they haven't told me the answer, but they've told me where to look. Or they've told me, yeah, you're in the right place. Keep exploring. See, see what happens for you with this. Because it's very easy just to say, yep, do this, do that, do this, do that. You don't learn that way. It's like when you attend a lead class all the time, do you really learn it? Or do you learn more when you're left to your own devices? It's like, right, I want you to go through this technique and repeat it 
over and over again because you you build up the mental cues yourself the reference points whereas if someone's telling you the reference points without them there you're never going to be able to do it without them i think that's quite an important thing the final question that i get into with everyone is to finish every podcast i'm keen to leave the listeners with some simple routines that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis what principles would be at the top of your list to form the foundations of human health or in other words a human first approach I really like some of the answers to this, this question, by the way. For me, I think it's all about bettering yourself every day. So try not to compete with others because it can be unrealistic, but try and do something better than you did yesterday or the day before, or whatever, every day. And slowly you're going to improve, whether it's towards your like long-term goal or uh, your short-term goals. Just try and better yourself. And I think finding something active that you enjoy is going to keep you improving because naturally you're going to want to be able to do that more. So you'll look into diet, nutrition, or you, you might sleep better one night before you do that active thing and then be like, oh, I felt really good after that, which is going to make you want to do that. And I guess with that as well, notice any improvements and what you did to get them, because I bet it was a, something positive that you've done to improve that way. And the more you notice that, the more it's going to keep you on that path, bettering yourself. And also notice if, if you feel lousy one day or something goes wrong, think, what did I do and how can I change it to get back on that positive kind of path and keep improving? I think hopefully anyone can adopt that, whether it's, I don't know, even walk the dog longer, five minutes longer a day, or if you're trying to spend two seconds longer in a handstand or you're trying to get better at whatever the martial art you do is. I think that's kind of a general way I'd, I'd answer that question. Man, those things you talked about there, it's just a really nice way to look at it, in my opinion, is finding something you love, find something that you almost get obsessed with, and you'll notice that you channel your life because of that enjoyment. I think that's a really nice way of looking at it, and a really proactive way as well. Adam, I'm going to put all the links to your projects, to the classes you do on the podcast episode, so people can go straight through to your work. And is there anything else, man, that you want to add? Uh, no, just thanks for having me on. Uh, really enjoying learning from you as well. So I appreciate everything you've taught me so far. And uh, I'm looking forward to even more. So yeah, thanks very much. Likewise, Adam. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Cheers. Take care. Thank you for joining Adam and myself for this episode. Please support us by liking, subscribing, commenting and sharing, all of which is massively appreciated. See you on the next episode.